0: Okay, we'd like to welcome you back to part three of our study on um, witchcraft in Mexico, the Sanat Muerte, uh, Fallen Angelic Worship, uh, Skull Worship, Catholic Church, and now we're going to actually get into the Catholic Inquisitions for the last two parts here. I'm going to see if I can uh, get through all of this. There's a lot of actual pictures here, nothing too graphic. Uh, There were some pictures that I had to eliminate that were just kind of inappropriate. But um, we're just going to dive right into this. I've I've never actually done a study. I've mentioned the Catholic Inquisitions a lot before, but never actually done a study on this. Uh, This is a quote from Pope Innocent III. He said, quote, Anyone who attempts to construe a personal view of God, which conflicts with church dogma, must be burned without pity. End of quote. Wow, the world according to him, isn't that nice? Anyone that has that would dare have a personal view of God, which would conflict with Catholic church dogma. they just must be burned without pity. That's it. Wow. The Inquisition was an ecclesiastical court and process of the Roman Catholic Church set up for the purpose towards the discovery and punishment of heresy which wielded immense power and brutality in medieval and early modern times. The Inquisition's function was principally assembled to repress all non-Catholic rites, depriving them of their estate and assets, which became the subject and ownership of the Catholic treasury. Oh, imagine that! I guess they had no hidden motive there and relentlessly sought to destroy anyone who spoke or even thought differently than the Catholic Church. This system, for close was, uh, this system for close to over six centuries became the legal framework throughout most of Europe that orchestrated one of the most evil religious orders in the course of mankind. Six centuries this went on. This wasn't something that happened you know, on a weekend. It was over. Six centuries. Hundred years of this garbage. In The Dark Side of Christian History, the book, Helen Allerby describes how the same men who had been both prosecutor and judge decided upon the sentence of heresy. Once an inquisitor arrived to a heresy-ridden district, a heresy-ridden district, I mean, these, these were places that needed to be cleaned up. There were too many free thinkers there. They got to go in and, you know get everybody in order. Well, they were given a 40-day period of grace which was usually allowed to all who wished to confess by recanting their faith. Meaning if you were a true born again Bible-believing Christian, they gave you 40 days to recant your faith. Okay? After this period of grace had finished, the inhabitants were then summoned to appear before the inquisitor. Citizens accused of heresy would be woken in the dead of night, ordered if not gagged, and then escorted to the unholy edifice or Inquisition prison for closer examination. Now, I did a whole study not too long ago also. I really need to put the studies in here. On um, well, well, actually it was quite a while ago. But it was on the Office of Inquisition, how that's actually been reactivated by the Pope. He's actually reactivated it. Okay, so this same Office of Inquisition is now active again. I don't think it ever actually was out of... I think it was just a little... They were suppressed it more. So, in 1244, the Council of Harborne ordered that in sentencing of heretics, no husband should be spared because of his wife, nor wife because of her husband, nor, and no parent spared from a helpless child. Once in custody, victims waited before their judge anxiously while he pondered through the document of their accusation. During the first examination, enough of their property was likewise confiscated to cover the expenses of the preliminary investigation the accused would then be implicated and asked incriminating and luring questions in a manner of trickery calculated to entangle most now this is written a little bit of i think this book's pretty old so a little bit of it's written not like in modern day vernacular is what i mean so they basically try to trick you there was there was nothing you're going to find out from this once you got into this system you just you're dead you're dead pretty much Uh, there was pretty much no way out. Uh, The Inquisition put their victims to the test. Uh, Here we're seeing an example, pictures, of somebody on what they call the rack. Now we're going to get into the individual implements of torture a little bit later. Get into that. Most defendants confessed in the long run in order to escape the great anguish and bitter torture. Once found guilty, they were handed over to the civil authorities to be relaxed. That, of course, to me, means to be burnt alive. So that, that's what they're, they're going to be relaxed. It would just take them out and burn them alive. Refusing to confess at the first hearing saw heretics, heretics being remanded to the prisons for several months. The dungeons were situated underground so that the outcries of the subject might not reach the other parts of the building. In some medieval cells, this inauspicious... The inauspicious were bound in stocks or chains, unable to move around, and forced to sleep standing up or on the ground. In some cases, there was no light or ventilation. Inmates were generally starved and kept in solitary confinement in the dark and allowed no contact from the outside world, including that of their own family. In, 15, in 1252, Pope Innocent Fourth officially authorized the creation of the horrifying Inquisition torture chambers. It included a new perpetual imprisonment or death at the stake without without the bishop's consent. Acquittal of the accused was now virtually impossible. And meaning there was once this happened, you couldn't even get acquitted, pretty much. It was you were just dead once you got into this system. You know, and particularly I would imagine if you had any kind of assets they could seize. Uh, thus, with a license granted by the Pope himself, inquisitors were free to explore the depths of horror and cruelty. Dressed as black-robed fiends with black cowls over their heads, Inquisitors could extract confessions from just about anyone. The Inquisition invented every conceivable device to inflict pain by slowly dismembering and dislocating the joints of the body. Many of the devices were inscribed with the motto, Glory be only to God! Bernandius Godonus, the Inquisitor in Toyulos, instructed the layman as to never argue with the unbeliever, but as to, quote, thrust his sword into the man's belly as far as it will go, end of quote. George Riley Scott describes how the Inquisitors gorged with their inhumanity and developed a degree of callousness rarely rivaled in the annals of civilization, condemning every faith outside that of Christianity as, as of Catholic. I should say Catholicism. They actually wrote that in here long, wrong. So, anyway, condemning every faith outside of Catholicism as demonic. Even the very fact of having a large charge brought against you, and of being summoned to the Inquisition, was sufficient to strike abject terror into the bravest man or woman. For very few who entered the doors of the halls of torment emerged whole in body and mind. If they escaped with their life, they were, with rare exceptions, maimed, physically or mentally, forever, those who did happen to endure the dungeons generally went mad in captivity, screaming out in despair to escape their purgatories, other willingly committing suicide during their confinement. The, I don't know of anything that I've ever read that's more horrific than this stuff that we're going to be getting into. I don't know of any other system that's, that could really compare to this adequately. Uh, okay, concentration camps, um uh, yeah. Yeah, but I I don't think that they were individually tortured to the same degree that these people were. Yes, they were starting to get, yes, it was absolutely, totally horrific, but these people were individually singled out in, with specific torture devices that I don't know any other time in history that's ever actually been done to this degree. The defendants were known to incriminate themselves at any chance they had to escape the horrors as... Henry Charles Lee describes one of the conditions of escaping the penalties was that they stated all all they knew of other heretics and apostates under the general terror. There was little hesitation in denouncing not only friends and acquaintances but the nearest and dearest of kindred parents, children, brothers, and sisters. This ultimately and indefinitely prolonged the inquisitions through their association through their associates so they 're just they 're blabbing of everybody they don 't they I mean now i 'm not saying that um, you know, all these born true born-again Bible-believing Christians were doing this, but all you had to do is be accused by one person. Now, if they're in there, and they're thinking, I'm going to get out of here if I confess more names, and they're willing to do anything they can to save their hide, well, they're going to blurt out names that might not even have any bearing on truth, and many times it, it might not have. And so other people were probably tortured and, you know, maybe they were Catholics. I don't really know, but I doubt that happened very much. But you can just see how this web would have formed. And a lot of people, you know, went through this horrific thing. In the ages of faith, when the priest was proclaimed a little less than God himself, a curse from his lips was often more feared than physical torments. To even establish an accusation against a bishop... A Catholic bishop required seventy-two witnesses. Against a deacon? Oh, you only needed 27 witnesses there. Against an inferior dignity, dignitary? Oh, seven witnesses. And for non members of the clergy, two was sufficient to convict. Whole communities went mad with grief and fear of thought towards being denounced in the Inquisition. It spread all over Europe, men and women and children, all legally murdered on evidence by a church, which today would only be accepted uh, unless the court and jury specifically was composed of inmates from an insane asylum. During the course, defendants had no rights to counsel or advice, and were even denied the right to know the names of their accusers. No favorable evidence or character witnesses were ever permitted. In any case one who even spoke for an accused heretic would be arrested as an accomplice. Ne- <laughs> I, mean, I mean if this isn't justice, I don't know what is, you know. Uh, never would a prisoner of the Inquisition have seen the, the the accusation against himself or any other. All efforts relating to time and place and person were carefully concealed. Henry Charles Lee describes, however, that evidence was accepted from witnesses who could not legally testify in any other kind of trial, though, uh, such as condemned criminals, other heretics, or even children as young as the age of two. The inquisitor Jean Bodine, author of this The dem, Demomania of Witches, especially valued child witnesses for extracting confessions, as they were easily persuaded to confess, little children. Children, though, were no exception for being prosecuted and tortured themselves. The treatment of witches', of witches children were particularly brutal. So if you were suspected of being a witch, <laughs> their children, forget it. Suspicion alone of witchcraft would warrant torture. Once a girl was nine and a half and a boy was ten and a half, they were both liable to inquiry. Younger children below this age were still nevertheless tortured to elicit testimonies that could be used against their own parents. A famous French magistrate was known to have regretted his leniency when instead of having young children accused of witchcraft burned, he only had them sentenced to be flogged while they watched their parents burn. That that he was he was a fun, nice guy. I mean, he was really lenient. Instead of having them be burned, he 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 just had them flogged while, while they watched their parents be burned. This is the Catholic Church. Yesterday, today, and however, this devil whore religion is allowed to continue to exist. This is, it's no different today. The same habitation of devils and demons exists today. That's why this needs to be exposed. The children of those parents murdered usually were forced to beg in vain upon the streets, for no one dared feed or shelter them, thus incurring a suspicion of heresy upon themselves. So if the children who had been spared... Uh, and their parents were accused of witchcraft or heretics or whatever, they, they were just left on the streets and nobody would dare feed them because they, were, they, were, uh, they would say, oh no, then they're, they're heretics themselves. So they were just left to starve and, and die in the streets. The suspicion was sufficient enough to drive away even the closest kindred and friends of the unfortunate. Sympathy for them would be interpreted as sympathy for their heresy. You see how it was the ultimate Big Brother society back then too? You couldn't trust anybody. Everybody was the enemy. You couldn't trust, and and you were just out for number one. That's what it was all about, and we're going back to that. I really believe we are. I mean, can we expect things to become better in the end times? According to what the Word of God says? Overall for society? I mean, you see how self-centered this society is? Riots over stupid shoes. The Michael Jordan, the bring back the Michael Jordan whatever of shoe. And there's riots. And, and, and people get in in fist fights over this garbage. Hey, it's the x spirit. You know? Love and good cheer to all men, right? I just, you know... history will repeat itself most likely. Um, here's a picture of uh, put to torture using the pulley. Uh, us- the accused usually confessed to anything and everything that their tormentors wanted to admit to. Uh, so now we're, we're going to get into some of the implements here. Uh, the pulley or the strappedo was the first torture of the Inquisition usually applied. Executioners would hoist the victim up to the ceiling using a rope with their hands tied securely behind their backs. They were then suspended about six feet from the floor. In this position, heavy iron weights, usually weighing about about 100 pounds, were attached to their feet. The executioners would then pull up on the rope then suddenly allowing it to slack, causing the victim to fall. The rapid descent would then come to an abrupt stop, dislocating every joint and nerve in the system. It would dislocate your, your shoulder joints backwards. You, you'd have a hundred pounds hanging on your feet, they hang you up to the floor, the, the ropes on your the ropes on your wrists, and they yank you up, and then they, they they let you fall real quick and then and then snag the rope so that the weight grabs hold of you and just totally destroys your shoulder joints. But they did it all in the name of their god Satan. Their God, Satan. how this devil religion has been allowed allowed to exist and propagate and, and, and still take on this pseudo-Christian veneer is just incomprehensible to me. That people throughout the ages did not rise up and stomp out this habitation of devils. It's no different today. Do you see the Catholic Church groveling and apologizing for all the stuff they did? No, no, because they're proud of it. I don't care what they would even if they if they issue anything, it's a lie. The executioners, um, the the rapid descent would then come to an abrupt stop, dislocating every joint. The process was repeated over and over again, heavier and more intense, until the culprit confessed or became unconscious. I don't know how your arms wouldn't rip off. I, don't, I, don't, I mean, I don't know how your, 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 the sinews and the tendons and the ligaments could, I mean, I would imagine they'd just rip off after a while. Literally. Catholic monks would, would stand by to record any confessions with even records today displaying the monks' steady handwriting. If a supposed heretic refused to recant and endured the torture, and now, there's all pictures of this too, in, in this PDF, so you, if you want to follow along. If the supposed heretic refused to recant and endure the torture, the poor sufferer then was carried to the scaffold and his body bound to a wooden cross. Then the executioner with a bar of iron would break each leg and arm in two places, and then he would be left to die. If the heretic was slow to expire, the executioner would then partake in strangulation, and their body was bound to a stake and burned outside. Standard Procedure. Going back to the actual history, the papal Inquisition of 1233, at the close of the 12th century, heresy was spreading rapidly in southern France. Heresy. Papal legal uh, legates were sent by Pope Innocent III into the disaffected district to increase the severity of repressive measures against the Waldensians, one of the true sects of Christians, not Protestants, Waldensians. A separate line of Christians that can trace their lineage all the way back to Antioch, which is where they were first called Christians according to the book of Acts. I don't ever say I'm a Protestant. Protestants came out of the Catholic Church. They were protesting what was going on. Martin Luther came out of the Catholic Church. They carried a lot of that same baggage with them. Well, Denzians were one of the true, and this is why this one really got cranked up, this Inquisition. In 1200, Peter of Castelna was made associate inquisitor for southern France. The powers of the papal legates were increased so as to bring non-compliant bishops within the net. In 1206, Peter and Raoul went as spies among the Albigensians, which is another group of true Christians in that time frame. The Inquisition was also destined to become a permanent institution. The vigor and success of the papal Legantine Inquisition assured this. The Council of Tolulos in 1229 adopted a number of canons, tending to give permanent character to the Inquisition as an institution in and of itself, which it still is to this day. It made or indicated the machinery for questioning, convicting, and punishing. Heretics were to be excluded from medical practice, The houses in which they were found to be razed to the ground. They were to be delivered to the archbishop or local authorities. Forfeiture or public rights could be removed only by papal dispensation. Anyone who allowed a heretic to remain in his country or who shielded him in the slightest degree would lose his land, personal property, and official position. The local magistracy join in the search for heretics, men from the ages of 14 and women from the ages of 12 were to make an oath and to renew it every two years that they would inform on heretics. This is the ultimate big brother backstabbing society. Save your own skin, backstab everyone, as long as you save your own skin. What a sick, I mean, the dark ages, man. I mean, it was dark. They don't call it that for nothing. This made every person above those ages a bloodhound to track or torture and kill. Local councils added to these regulations, always in the direction and severity of injustice. The organic development of the papal inquisition proceeded rapidly. It was found that bishops, for the various reasons, would not always enforce the cruel canons of the councils. Okay, so continuing further... Uh, <clears throat> so Pope Gregory Ninth in August of 1231, put the Inquisition under the control of the Dominicans, the, the Dominican friars, uh, in order especially uh, created for the defense of the Church Against Heresy. One of the leading head inquisitors of Germany was Conrad of Marburg. Stern in temper and narrow in mind, his bigotry was said to be ardent to the pitch of near insanity. You'd have to be insane to do this stuff. And you'd have to be insane. Who could do this in the right mind? Conrad murdered and terrified countless people in the pursuit of duties regarding mental and physical torture as a rapid route to salvation. What, his own salvation? Well, the Bible talks about there they, will come a time when they that kill if you think that they do God's service. Well, this is, this is a great example of that. He was given full discretionary powers and was not required to hear the cases, but to pronounce judgment only, which was to be final and without appeal Uh, to those suspected of heresy. During his reign, he claimed to have uncovered nests of, quote, devil worshippers, and adopted the motto, quote, I would gladly burn a hundred innocent if there was only one guilty among them, end of quote. That's, That's exactly what's happening here. Now, granted, if you're if you're if guilty means I'm a born again Bible believing Christian, then I'm guilty. You know, which is really what you know. This was just about the anybody that deviated outside the Catholic religion. It wouldn't have mattered if if it was um, born again Bible believing Christian or Hindu or whatever. It wouldn't have mattered. Anybody would be considered a heretic. Uh, stimulated by this shining example, many Dominicans and Franciscans merged with him and became his eager assistants. He also sentenced the feline cat to be, a f- uh, to be forever viewed as a tool of manifestation for witches and sorcerers. That's the guy that really started the whole thing about cats. Yep. During the persecution of heresy in Rhineland by Conrad, one obstinate culprit actually refused to burn in spite of all the efforts of his zealous executioners. A thoughtful priest brought to the roaring pile a consecrated host, the Eucharist. What they worship? Yeah. And at this, once uh, this once dissolved the spell by a mightier magic. And the luckless heretic was speedy, speedily reduced to ashes. So I, I, maybe that was true. In this particular case, I don't know. It was a, a guy that was a witch, warlock, whatever you want to call him, and he had been using witchcraft to protect himself from the fire, which I've read enough accounts to know that Satan has that ability. And, but once they, they brought the, the consecrated host, the Catholic communion host, to the fire pile, that dissolved the spell of the witch and the luckless heretic was speedily reduced to ashes. Notice what it says, the once-dissolved spell by a mightier magic. Catholicism is witchcraft, very high-level witchcraft, with a pseudo-Christian veneer. That's all it is. It is witchcraft. I thought that was interesting. Then we get on to the Spanish Inquisition. Uh, 1478 to 1834. In 1478, the Spanish Inquisition was established by papal approval of Pope Sixtus IV. The conduit of this unholy office generally weakened the power and diminished the population of Spain. It was considered the most deadly and notorious of all of the Inquisitions. At, at, at firstly being, it was the most highly organized, and secondly, it was far more exposed and open with the death penalty than that of the papal inquisition. So just when you thought it couldn't get any worse with these inquisitions, now we have the deadliest of the bunch, the Spanish inquisition. This unholy office became veiled by secrecy, unhesitatingly kept back, falsified, concealed, and forged the reports of thousands of trials. That's how the Catholic Church can ever do, is operate in lies and deceit and treachery and evil. That's the only fruit it can really produce. Because it is of its father the devil, and of his lust and of his works they will do. He was a liar from the beginning. He came to kill, steal, and destroy, and that's what the Catholic Church is all about. Working for their master, Satan. The first two in- inquisitors of the districts of Seville were appointed in 1480 by King Ferdinand and Queen Isabella. Aren't they the ones that sent Columbus? To round up the most wealthiest heretics. The reason for this was that the property of those accused were shared equally at this time between the Catholic throne and the Dominicans. Oh, it's a good little racket they got going on the side, you know? Oh, he's a heretic. That guy's really rich. He's a heretic. I want his money. We'll go get him, and we'll 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 put him through the most unbelievable, excruciating death, and uh, we'll get all his stuff. That's what they're doing. That's what they're doing. Those, refuse, those refusing to accept Catholicism were led to the stake and burnt alive in procession. And the Catholic ceremony was known as the auto fe or act of faith. Here we have a depiction of one of these acts of faiths. This is the conclusion of an auto uh, Public, Huge public burnings took place of those convicted of heresy. They just one. One after another, just burn, burn, burn all these people alive in front of every. And all these crowds of people turn out there to get entertained. And that's what it says in a lot of these things. The people got to the point where they wanted these things, they wanted to be entertained. Can you imagine going, I don't want to see anybody burned. I don't want to see anybody burned alive. I don't care if it was Hitler. I don't want to see him burned alive. I have no desire to see that. I don't want to see people get beheaded or burned alive, or tortured, or killed, or whatever. I don't want to see that. I remember when I was a little kid, I watched, like, it was called The Faces of Death. I watched, like, the first, like, ten minutes. And, I mean, and here I am, a little heathen devil, as far as I'm concerned, looking back on things. That show messed me up for weeks. I had enough discernment back then to know that that is not something that I want to just put before my eyes. I don't want to see it. I don't want to see it. And these people turn out by the thousands. To watch people be burned. I mean, I can't imagine a really more horrific way to die, just about. Why would you want to watch that? It shows you what society was like as well. Then there's the Roman Inquisition from 1542 to 1700. In the early 1500s and 1600s, the Catholic Church went through a Reformation. It consisted of two related movements: a defense, a defensive reaction against the Reformation, a movement began by Martin Luther in 1517 that gave birth to Protestantism, and number two, a Catholic reform which saw Protestants declare war on Catholics. The Roman Catholic Church called the Council of Trent partly as a defense against Protestantism. In 1542, Pope Paul III established the unholy office as the final court. I I always put unholy on anything they put holy, because I refuse to call it holy. Nothing about anything that ever came out of the Catholic Church has ever been holy. God is holy. Catholic Church is, is the exact polar extreme opposite of holy. So they established the unholy office as the final court of appeals, in Trials of Heresy. The church also published a list of books that were forbidden to read. Heretical books were outlawed. Every book that came was scrutinized minutely with the expressed object of of finding some passage which might be interpreted as being against the principles or the interests of the Catholic faith. Now also, I should mention also, a more detailed account of this from a Christian perspective, what we're describing today, you you could read Fox's Book of Martyrs. That's another one that would get into, okay, a born-again Bible-believing Christian perspective of people that were martyred. Uh, So, I, but again, for time's sake today, I'm just kind of going through these points here, more of an expose on the Catholic Church. The censorship of the books took place in three forms. Either the books were completely condemned and suppressed, or the expunging of certain objectionable pages or parts, or the correction of sentences or the deletion of specific words as mentioned. A list of various books condemned upon any of these three heads was printed every year by the Catholic Church, after which anyone found to be in possession of these books were deemed guilty and liable to serve punishment. The author and the publisher of any such book spent the remainder of their lives in dungeons of the Inquisition, or they were killed. Uh, The overall goal was to eradicate Protestant influences in Europe. A number of wars resulting from religious conflicts broke out, broke out as well as Catholic governments tried to stop the spread of Protestant Protestantism in the country. It was also a cause of the Thirty Years' War from sixteen eighteen to sixteen forty eight, which centered in Germany, that eventually involved all the great nations of Europe, uh, having its population, meaning half the people died as a result of these wars. The estimate of the death toll during the Inquisitions range worldwide, from 600,000 to as high as millions, covering a span of almost six centuries. I've heard 50 million. Easy. 600,000, come on. Six centuries of this? And only 600,000? No, 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 no. There's a lot more than that. Victor Hugo estimated the number of victims of the Inquisition at 5 million. It is said, and certainly the number was much greater than, than that if we take into account, as we should, the wives and husbands, the parents and children, the brothers and sisters, and the other relatives of those tortured and slaughtered by the priestly institution. To these millions should properly be added uh, the others killed in the wars, precipitated in the attempts to fasten the Inquisition upon the people of various countries. So now we're going to get into the actual um, unholy Inquisitions, the tortures. And there's a whole bunch of pictures... Not of, and I edited out the pictures that were particularly too graphic, even though they're, really most of these are actually drawings. Okay, but this is, here's a torture room in Inquisition, in a cathedral in Nuremberg, um, a real one, that's an actual picture. The first one we'll talk about is the rack. And again, where, where do we find any of this stuff in the Bible? Where did Jesus say, apply the rack? Torture your torture anyone you deem a heretic. Uh, nowhere in the Bible is this condoned, this type of behavior. I mean, this is so against the word of God, it defies explanation. The rack was an instrument of torture used in the Middle Ages and popular means of extracting the confession. The victim was tied across a board by their ankles and wrists. Rollers at either end of the board were turned uh, by pulling the body in opposite directions until dislocation of every joint occurred. So it, it would essentially just stretch you until all the joints in your body start dislocating. Anything that I mean wrist, elbow, shoulder, probably your rib articulations, your spine, probably to a certain extent, hip hip joints, knees, ankles, everything. According to block quoted in The Mason's History of the Inquisition, in this attitude, he experienced eight strong contortions in his limbs, namely, two of his fleshly parts of his arms, above the elbows, and two below, one on each thigh and also on each leg. Bound, the heretic could then be subjected to other forms of torture for the exaltation of their faith. I guess that the these the demon-possessed Devils that were doing this really felt that they were doing God's service. They were exalting the faith by doing this. Here's a picture of the rack. Other forms included the detainee being fastened in a groove upon a table on his or her back. Suspended above was a gigantic pendulum the ball of which had a sharp edge on the lower section, and the pendulum lengthened with every stroke, with every pass. It lengthened. The victim sees this engine of destruction swinging to and fro only a short distance from his eyes. Momentarily, the keen edge comes nearer and at a length cuts the skin and then gradually cuts deeper every pass until their life has fully expired. That's one of the ways they killed people, or to try to extract confessions. And then there's the stocks. With their legs or feet in the stocks, two pieces of timber were clamped together over and under, both across each leg and above their ankles. The soles of their feet then were un, were just exposed. So it would be like having your feet in these stocks and you're just laying there and your feet are, are like at the end of these stocks. Okay, Their soles of their feet were then greased with lard and a blazing uh, fire was applied to them and they were first blistered and then fried. At intervals, a board was interposed between the fire so they could get maybe some relief and their feet um, and then remove once they disobeyed the command to confess themselves of guilt for which they had been charged. So they put the board in there for a second. Your feet are being burned up. And then if they didn't like what they heard, they, they, they uh, let the, the, the flames burn your feet up. And they show pictures of it. Just just beyond anything you can even comprehend this evil. Being more painful but less fatal than racking, this was the torture most in vogue when the subject chanced to be of the female sex. Uh, you should see we're gonna get into what they did to the to the women, which is really worse than what they did to the men. It was also favored in cases where children would be persuaded to testify against their parents. Slight, slighter tortures of removing a nail from the fingers or toes were all highly practiced among persons of not sufficient strength to support the pulley or the rack or the fire. See, not everybody could bear up under those tortures. So for them, they'd just yank out a fingernail or yank out a toe bone. Not to say they wouldn't burn them in the end, you know. Then there was water torture. Listen to this one. The victim's nostrils were pinched shut. Eight quarts of fluid were poured down the victim's throat through a funnel. Other techniques included forcing a cloth down the throat while pouring the water, which made a swallowing reflex, pushing it further down into the stomach, producing all the agonies of suffocation by drowning until the victim lost consciousness. Instead of water, the torture was sometimes conducted with boiling water or vinegar. Death occurs from distention or rupturing of the stomach. All in the name of their God, Satan. Thank you, Catholic Church. Thank you. You devils. I pray God rain down his fury on this wicked evilness. I pray God for justice and judgment on this wickedness. They're not repentant. They're proud of this. This is their history. And this is what they want to bring back. Then there's the pear. This one, you might want to have the kids leave. The pair. I never even heard of this stuff before. The pear was a torture device used on females. This device was inserted into the female private area. Or a mouth of the victim, and then expanded by force of the screw. It had like the screw thing on it, and all of these these implements of torture had all this Catholic ornate garbage on them, typically to, to you know like whatever, like they said the thing to God or whatever, to God's for God's glory or whatever. So. It, It would be expanded by force of the screw, this turning device, to the maximum aperture setting of the victim's body, nearly always fatally ripping the tissue, flesh, and membranes. I don't need to say anything more than that. This item became extensively applied through the Spanish Inquisition to force confessions from those accused of witchcraft. The pointed prongs at the end of the segments served better to rip the throat and the intestines or the cervix. It had these Pointed prong. It was a three-part thing that came together and at the very end it had these like little pointed prongs at the end that would rip as it would expand. Many paid dearly when the, when the pair was their fate, it says. There's a picture of one of these things here. And there, there's the branks. The branks also called the dame's bri- bridle or the scold's bridle comprised of a metal facial mask, and spiked mount depressor that was implemented on our housewives up until the early 19th century. Many clergymen sustained in this husband's right to handle his wife and use uh, solitary restraints in every case of misbehavior without the intervention of, of what some court records of 1824 referred to as vexatious prosecutions. Now, I know this is a little hard and writing Generally, are hard to read here. Generally, a husband would need only to accuse his wife of disagreeing with his decisions at which the branks could be applied. The subject would then be paraded through the streets or chained to the market cross where she was exposed to public ridicule. Now, this wasn't something that was going to kill them, but it was an object of public humiliation to keep the Catholic wives in line, evidently. There they speak out. Okay, so the next one is the wheel. And um, just make, make sure I didn't skip anything here. Yeah, the wheel. The wheel was one of the most popular and insidious methods of torture and execution practice. The giant spike wheel was able to break bodies as it rolled forward, causing the most agonizing and drawn-out death. Other forms include the braided wheel, where the victim would be tied to the executioner dock or platform. Their limbs were spread and tied to stakes or iron rings on the ground. Slices of wood were placed under the main joints, wrists, ankles, knees, hips, and elbows. The executioner would then smash every joint with the iron-tired edge of the wheel. However, the executioner would would avoid fatal blows to give the victim a very, very painful death. According to a German chronicler, and again, there's pictures of all of this here, according to a German chronicler, the victim was transformed into a huge, screaming puppet, writhing in their own blood. It looked like a sea monster with four tentacles when they were done. A raw, slimy, shapeless flesh, mixed with splinters and bones. After the smashing had taken place, the victim would literally be braided into the wheel and hung horizontally on top of the pole. Oh, but they're so, there's such men of God doing this. Such men of God. Then there's the Breast Ripper. The name of this device speaks for itself. Women condemned of heresy, blasphemy, and adultery and witchcraft often felt the wrath of this device as it violently tore a breast from their torso. This device was highly, was put highly into service during the massacre of the Danes then there 's hanging cages. These cages were usually hung around the outsides of town halls and ductal palaces where they were also near the town 's hall of justice and surprisingly cathedrals. The victim, naked and exposed, would slowly wither from hunger and thirst they would They would put these high up in the crown in the town 's squares or whatever. the victim would be naked, exposed, and they would just let him stay up there until they died of hunger and thirst and exposure. Uh, the weather would would uh, the weather would second the victim's death by heat, stroke, and sunburn in the summer and cold in the winter. The victims and the corpses were usually previously mutilated before being put in the cages to make a more edifying example of punishment. The cadavers were left in the cages until the bones literally fell apart. This is the kind of society that these people grew up in. This is what they knew. I mean can you imagine a, a hardly a more horrific place than this? Then there was the garrote. Originally, the garrote was simply hanging by another name. However, during medieval times, executioners began to refine the use of the rope until it became as feared and as vile as any serious punishment. Executioners first used the garrote to end suffering of heretics broken on the wheel. But by the turn of the 18th century, the seed of the idea involving slow slow strangulation was planted in the minds of the lawmakers. Anything they could do to prolong the death and the agony is what they were all about. The first garrotes were nothing more than an upright post with a hole bored through them. The victim would stand or sit at the seat in front of the post, and the chanting crowd, and a rope was looped around his neck, and the ends of the cord were fed through the back of the hole post. The executioner would then pull on the ends of the cord behind them and twist them tourniquet style, slowly strangling the victim. Later modifications included a spike fixed into the wood frame at the back of the victim's neck, Parting the vertebrae as the rope tightened. Then there's the head crusher. With the victim's chin placed in the lower bar, a screw then forces the cap down on the victim's cranium. The recipient's teeth are then crushed and forced into their sockets to smash the surrounding bone. The eyes are uh, compressed from their sockets and the brain from the fractured skull. They're, They're taking the head and just smashing it into one another. Real slowly, they're turning this thing. Real slowly, I guarantee you they're going to prolong it as much as they can to inflict the maximum amount of agony and torture. The device, although not a form of capital punishment, of course I think you could turn it into one, is still used for in, in, inter, um, interrogation purposes. Uh, it's still used for interrogation purposes, that's nice. It was to inflict extreme agony and shock and leave the victim in, grap- in grasp for hours. Other methods included the head screw, which was placed around the forehead and then tightened, the accused became so frantic by the extreme panic of having their head crushed that they confessed to anything, typically. The only way you could not renounce the Lord Jesus Christ is is to, to be a born-again Bible-believing Christian and have the faith to believe he can get you through it. If you don't have the faith to believe it, you know, only the Lord Jesus Christ, but the point I'm trying to make is only the Lord Jesus Christ could get you through something like this. Death would be literally the door. And it is the door for a born-again Christian to heaven. To be with Jesus Christ. There's no, there's no person in and of themselves that would ever have the willpower or whatever. You know to get through this. I mean, in in other words, you're not going to muster this up in and of yourself. It has to be through the Lord. That's it. It's the only way. And again, that Fox's Book of Martyrs documents, case after case of that exact thing happening. And then there's uh, the burnt at the stake. If the Inquisitor wanted to be sure no relics were left behind, like body parts, like they're so fond of, the Catholics, uh, then Um, they would select death by burning at the stake as the preferred method of execution. With few exceptions, death came from being burned alive. (laughs) You can't really see getting through that. Uh, Frequently, burning a victim at the stake was cause for a crowd. Not content to merely learn about the spectacle after it was over, the masses wanted to be entertained. So this whole wicked, evil spirit that pervaded in the Catholic Church, pervaded through the masses who were also Catholics. Because think about it. If you weren't a Catholic in that massive crowd, then you were a heretic. So that same sick, demonic garbage that motivated the priests and the inquisitors now permeated through the crowd. They wanted to be entertained. Entertained? Man, you think that's entertainment. You are beyond sick. And then there was the Iron Maiden. Not the rock group. It was a real actual implement of torture. Iron Maiden, or the Virgin of Nuremberg, was a tomb-sized container with folding doors. The object was to inflict punishment and then death. Upon the inside of the door were vicious spikes. As the prisoner was shut inside, he or she would be pierced along the length of their entire body. The talons were not designed to kill outright, though. The pinioned prisoner, meaning he was pinned in, he couldn't move, was left to slowly perish in the utmost pain. Some models included two spikes that were driven into the eyes then to also cause blindness. One of these diabolical machines was actually exhibited in 1892. You know, I I bet you, behind closed doors, Catholics are still doing this stuff. I would almost guarantee it. (laughs) They're no different. In fact, if anything, they're probably worse. And then there was the strapedo, which we kind of described earlier. One of the most common torture techniques. All one need needed to set up the strapedo was a sturdy rafter and rope. The victim's wrists were bound behind their back. The rope would be tossed over the beam. The victim was repeatedly dropped from a height so that their arms and shoulders would dislocate. And again, a lot of times it was, it was with weight on their feet too. This was the punishment of the secret tribunal until 1820. 1820. And then there was the boots. Also known as the bootikins. The legs of the patient were usually placed between two planks of wood. Okay, So you were laying there and you had your feet together and there was two planks of wood on the outside of your legs. Okay, Which they binded together with cords and wedges. Then the torturer used a large heavy hammer to pound the wedges driving them closer together. So I think what they would do is just pound the wood, basically just smooshing your legs. The forceful blows were used to squeeze the legs to jelly, lacerating the flesh, protruding the shins, and crushing the bones, sometimes so that marrow gushed out of the bones. Once unloosed, the bones fall to pieces, rendering the legs useless. The torture was most overwhelming, as one can imagine. And then there was... Oh, this one is probably... Uh, One of the worst. The Judas Cradle. Another warning here. The victim was stripped and hoisted and hung up over a pointed pyramid with iron belt. They had this iron belt. They slung you up by. You were naked. They put you over this pointed pyramid, and their legs were stretched out frontwards, and their ankles pushed downward, or their ankles were pushed downward by weights. The tormentor would then drop the accused on the pyramid, penetrating... Various orifices. I don't need to say anything more than that. As mentioned by Annie Barstow, the torturers took high advantage of the positions of authority to indulge in the most pornographic sessions of sexual control over the heretics. These devil perverts love this stuff. They lo- how could you How could you do this to somebody? Number one, and if you did do it, you were so given over to a reprobate mind that. This a lot of this, I believe, had to do with with gratification, sexual gratification, and otherwise, by these devils. Yes, this is the Catholic Church, in all her devil glory. And then there was the guillotine, which was probably, I would say, by far the most of all the things we've probably described so far. Probably the most humane. Just getting your head chopped off It's like you know. <laughs> a walk in the park compared to all this other stuff. Now, granted, if you go to hell and get your head chopped off, it's not a walk in the park. But if it's what launches you into heaven, this would be the most merciful thing of them all. The guillotine became the official instrument of execution in France in 1792 during the French Revolution. The device was named for Joseph Ignacy Guillotine. A member of the revolutionary assembly, he regarded the device as a quick and merciful type of execution a guillotine had two posts joined by a crossbeam at to the top, a heavy steel knife with a slanting edge uh, fit in it, grooves in the post, and the cord held the knife. And plus, you all pretty much know what a guillotine is. Shows a picture here. When the executioner cut the cord, the knife dropped and cut off the victim's head. It was not until 1891 that France abolished capital punishment and the use of the guillotine ended. We're almost done here. Uh, then let's we'll just talk a little bit about the witch hunts. Now, these are some quotes from some various people. Uh, St. Augustine of Hippo, who a lot of people follow today. Uh, And I did a report not too far back. Uh, A lot of people, Christians, send me quotes from him like it's a good thing. He's a double Catholic. Sorry, but he is. Okay? Nothing good can come of this institution. Nothing I don't care how theologically whatever you think he is. They're evil. It's the habitation of devils. Hopefully we've proved that today, and in many other teachings. Well, here's a quote from Augustine of Hippo. He wrote to a friend, quote, "'What is the difference, whether it is a wife or a mother? "'It is still Eve, the temptress, that we must beware of in any woman. "'I fail to see what use women can be to man "'if one excludes the function of bearing children.'" End of quote. Fun guy, you know. And then there's Saint Thomas Aquinas, another Catholic devil. He said, quote, "As regards the individual nature, woman is defective and misbegotten, for the active force in the male seed tends to tends to the production of perfect likeness of, in the masculine sex, while the production of women comes from a defect in the active force or some material indisposition or even some internal." External influence. Yeah, I don't think the uh, human race could have propagated without women. Sorry, Mister Saint Thomas Aquinas, you devil. And then he goes on to say, "No, this is this is a quote from Martin Luther, who came. Oh, he no, not him. He started the the Protestant Reformation. Yeah, here's a quote from Martin Luther." leader of the German Reformation that led to the ultimate birth of Protestantism. Here's what he said about women. Quote, if women become tired or even die, that does not matter. Let them die in childbirth. That is why they're there. End of quote. He said that. You go. You just research the quotes from Martin Luther. This one side, it was the main quote they, they, they highlighted. Not to say everything he said was bad. That sure was. Here's one that they used to do for the uh, witches. The burning iron chair consisted of sharpened iron nails that could be heated red hot from below. The victim would be bound and then slowly roasted in open air as the coals heated the iron. They would sit in this chair and they would roast you from below and, and all your... Your uh, your legs and your internal female organs and all that would just be roasted while you're sitting there in the chair. Victims accused of witchcraft were charged for the very ropes that bound them and the wood burn and the wood that actually burned them. Each procedure of torture carried its own fee. After the execution of a wealthy witch, officials usually treated themselves to a banquet at the expense of the victim's estate. This is all righteous, right? I mean, this is all, this is, this is righteous. Right? Come on. Obviously, I'm being facetious, but, yeah. And a lot of times, they weren't even witches. Many, many times. Hey, they got a big estate. Or this guy accused him of that or whatever. Oh, they're 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 done. They're done. You talk about unrighteousness and no just judgment. God loves judgment. He loves justness. He loves when we plead and cry out for justice and judgment and truth. And I don't think there's enough of that going on. And I'm not saying I don't cry out for it enough. I'm not trying to condemn anyone. I'm just saying, you look in the Bible, and he loves that when we do that. Because a society doesn't cry out for that, many, many times, darkness overtakes I'm not saying that's the only reason, but it is one. Uh, this is just horrific. Burning at the stake. This is a, a picture of a woman being, it's, it's a drawing. Burning at the stake was the chief fate of the accused witches. This is an image from the Library of Congress. Others were hanged or crushed. One, of the determining, one way of determining the guilt of the witches was the ducking or ducking stool, in which her feet and hands were tied together, and then her body was thrown off a bridge into the water. If she floated, she was declared a witch. If she sank and drowned, she was declared innocent. Sorry, too late. You, you sank and drowned. Look, You're innocent. Sorry, we messed up. That, that's really biblical. Again, everything they do is just right down the line. They just get it straight from the Bible. Nothing they do comes straight from the Bible. Nothing! The Bible is, is the most irrelevant book to a Catholic that there is. They don't go by it in any way, shape, or form, as far as I'm concerned. any way they would possibly go by it, some perverted, twisted way they do it. The process of formally prosecuting witches followed the grinding in, in, procedure, inquisition procedure. Once accused of witchcraft, it was virtually impossible to escape conviction. After cross-examination, the victim's body was examined for the, quote, witch's mark. The historian Walter Nigg described the process of, Finding the witch's mark. She was stripped naked, and then the executioner shaved off all her body hair in order to seek the hidden places of the body that the sign which the devil imprinted on their cohorts. Warts, freckles, birthmarks were considered certain tokens of an amorphous relationship with Satan. Should a woman show no sign of a witch's mark, guilt could still be established by methods such as sticking needles into the accused eyes the confession was then extracted by the hideous methods of torture already developed during earlier phases of the Inquisition. Unless the witch died during torture, she was taken to the stake. Since many of the burnings took place in public squares, Inquisitors prevented the victims from talking to the crowds by using wooden gags or cutting their tongues out. The sexual mutilation of accused witches was not uncommon either. They attacked the breast and genitals with pinchers, pliers, and red-hot irons. Yes, this is the Catholic Church. This is the Catholic Church that needs to be known worldwide. All their evil should be exposed. Every bit of it. Some rules pardon sexual abuse uh, by allowing men deemed zealous Catholics to visit female prisons in solitary confinement so they could have their way with the women. Uh, before, I guess they were brutally murdered. The people of Toyolos were so convinced that the inquisitor uh, named Folques de St. George arraigned women for no other reason than to sexually assault them that they took the dangerous, unusual, and unusual step of gathering evidence against him. Well, that's the first time I've read in all this time that any guy that was an inquisitor ever got any type of, you know, Retribution. I don't know if anything came of it, but they took steps to gather evidence against him. He was just, he was doing this against women for no other reason than to just sexually abuse them. Oh, well, you're a witch. <laughs> Put her in prison so I can have my way with her. Basically, what we're talking about here. Anything goes with these guys. You give somebody that level of power, and they're already demon infested, and they start to refine their art. They're only going to get more evil and demon infested and just do worse and worse things you give them carte blanche authority to just basically act like God on this planet, you know, that's what they're going to do. You let somebody get away with something. It's human nature that if you let somebody get away with something, generally, unless they will police themselves, they're going to keep doing it. I've learned that. I mean, obviously, probably all of us have learned that. The Bible says if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. But... That's the problem. It's hard to judge yourself. And these type of people obviously would never do that. Their conscience is so seared with a hot iron, their heart is so blackened that, you know, there's no hope for them. It had been better that they had never been born. It had been better that a millstone were hung about their neck and they'd be cast in the midst of the sea. These devils from the pit of hell. May God rain down his fury on this wickedness. I mean, stop it and then he, I cry out for judgment. I cry out for justice against this devil institution and any other institution like it on planet Earth. This is pure evil. And this type of evil defiles the land and harden the hearts of the people. It's not like it just happens and it doesn't affect the surrounding community, obviously. Look at what these people degenerated into. They wanted to be entertained. How can anybody be entertained by watching this garbage? Taking pleasure in that? They're no better than the inquisitors at that point. The Protestant and Catholics rivaled each other in the madness of the hour to a certain extent. I'm not letting the Protestants off the hook either. Remember, they came out of the Catholic Church. Witches were burned no longer in ones and twos, but in scores and in hundreds. A bishop of Geneva is said to have burned 500 within three months. A bishop in Bamberg, 600. A bishop of uh, Wisburg 900. 800 were condemned, apparently in one body, by the Senate of Savoy. Nicholas Regimus, the criminal judge of Lorraine, boasted that in 15 years, he had sent to death 900 people for the crime of witchcraft. In one year alone, he forced 16 witches to commit suicide. And a lot of these were innocent. As far as witchcraft goes, I would venture to say the majority would be innocent. And even if they weren't innocent, what right do we have to go around burning people at the stake and torturing them? What biblical mandate could we possibly have for that? There is none. The Archbishop of Trevis burned 118 women and two men. Paramo boasts that in a century and a half, the unholy office had burned at least 30,000 witches who they said were witches. And again, we already told you the ulterior motive. Oh, she's got a big, that, that, that lady's really rich. Well, she's a witch. Or she's really attractive. Well, she's a witch. So I can go, they were the judge and the prosecution all rolled up into one totally demon-possessed, and you, like, you could trust that? Tumenus in Italy burned 41 women in, provi- in one province alone. Strasbourg burned 5,000 in a period of 20 years. In France, about 1520, and in, in, in about the year 1520, the fires for the execution of witches blazed in almost every town. In one township in Piedmont, there was not a family that had not lost a member. In Vernuel, in 1561, women were burned on the charge of having converted themselves into cats. They were charged on having converted themselves into cats. They were evidently charged that they were shape-shifting into cats. Okay, The delusion spread like an epidemic through the villages. Many women were murdered by mobs. At least In Scotland, nine women were burned together in 1664. The bishops' palaces of South Germany became basically shambles. Uh, The lordly prelates of Salzburg, Wurzburg, and Bamberg taking lead in the butchery. It it was just like an absolute, total killing spree. All in the name of religion. All in the name of people being accused of witchcraft. The executioner of Niasi and Celia. Even invented an oven in which he roasted to death 42 women and young girls in one year. This is just beyond comprehension, this evil. Within nine years, he had roasted over a thousand people, including children two to four years old. In Würzburg, many children were burned, some no older than nine years old. And there, the next page is a book that shows the um, cover. It's called "The Horrors of the Inquisition" by Joseph McCabe. And then the the remainder of this PDF is just um, more pictures of various ways they tortured people. Um, just well known. I mean, this stuff is not that hard to hard to um, come up with. And hangings. And I'm just looking at some of these pictures and see if there's anything more that needs to be added. I think we've said enough. Again, this is not going to be an ongoing study. This is something I wanted to cover one time. I felt that it it we owe we owe this to all these people. They they've done this too whether they're born-again Bible-believing Christians or whether they're not, they had no right to do this. Nobody has any right to do this to another human being. This is just absolute, total insanity. And yet this devil institution is still held in such high regard worldwide. The The, the Catholic devil pope going up there and, and you know... Talking about worldwide peace and how we, you know, we've we've lost our way. Like you, would ever know that? I despise hypocrisy, and this devil religion is absolutely the height, the quintessential essence of a stench in God's nostrils, and the height of hypocrisy on planet Earth. They hide behind this religious veneer even calling themselves Christians and then what the pagans do is when they amply identify all the paganism going on in the Catholic Church like the Zeitgeist Movement they like they love to lump the Bible-believing Christians in with the Catholic Church. Why? Because it's so convenient and it's so easy to do to call everyone Christians that take on any kind of pseudo-Christian veneer. The Catholics being The main ones I don't want to be lumped in with. Anyway, that's all I have for today. So let's go ahead and we'll uh, close in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this day and this time you've given us, Lord. And uh, in the name of Jesus Christ, I just pray uh, that you would forgive us for any and all sins we've committed. As we forgive those who have sinned against us. I pray that the words of our mouth and the meditations of our heart... Would be acceptable and pleasing in Thy sight, O oh Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Lord, I thank You for all Your goodness and Your mercy, Lord God. In the name of Jesus Christ, I look at all these poor people, Lord God, that have suffered unbelievable agony. Many of them were true, born again, Bible believing brothers and Christian brothers and sisters in Christ, and the horrors that they had to endure. Uh, you don't—I just don't even feel worthy of. Uh, I just cannot imagine the horrors that these people have had to endure, Lord. I pray, Lord God, if any of us are called upon to endure the same or, or whatever tortures might lay ahead, uh, that you would give us the strength to endure whatever would come our way, that we would endure to the end, Lord God that also that we would be counted worthy to escape all the things that are coming upon this earth and to stand before the Son of Man and to have the faith to believe that you can deliver us from any situation, no matter how black or bleak it may look on the surface, that you would give us that faith, Lord God, that we need. For without faith, it is impossible to please God. And I just pray to God for for your wisdom, Lord God, for your strength, for your truth, Lord God, I pray to God for your justice and for your judgment against this wickedness and wherever wickedness exists on planet earth, Lord. I pray to God you would expose wickedness, Lord God, that people would be absolutely without excuse in the name of Jesus Christ, that you would expose this devil Catholic institution. That you would expose the pedophiles that hide behind high positions and whatever position they may occupy on the planet. That you expose these people that destroy babies and and abort babies and and the ones that own these abortion clinics and the governmental people behind all this wickedness and the sodomite movement as well, Lord God. And the pornography movement and anything that's wicked on this planet. I pray to God that for your justice and your judgment and that you expose it in the name of Jesus Christ and that you destroy it Lord God. Those that are within these institutions I pray to God if it be possible their souls be saved but if not Lord God that God would shoot at them with an arrow that all men would see and fear and declare the work of God that they would wisely consider of your doing that the righteous would be glad in the Lord and trust in him and all the upright heart would glory for the sake of the little ones and for the sake of the innocent and the body of Christ Lord God That they would not be able to wreak this wickedness on planet earth. We ask all these things in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ we pray. Amen.